Good morning. It's so good to be with you here in the house, and I want to say it's good to be with everyone worshiping with us online right now as well. We love you, and we're glad that you're with us today. We're in the middle of a series called What is Love? And today I'm going to be talking about a, uh, just fair warning to the parents with little kids in the room, today I'm talking about a married people kind of love. And uh, I'm going to say some words that you kids will not hear in a G-rated movie. Uh, So there's some warning. We have great kids ministry for them today, if you'd like to use that. First week I shared that there's four weeks, there's four Greek words used for love. Storge is referring to family love. Um, Agape is unconditional love. It doesn't have limits on it. It's an act of the will to love. Last week my dad talked specifically about phileo love, which is like friendship love or brotherly love. And we can find community in in, uh, relationship with, with each other like in a group. And there's also eros, which is like where we get the word erotic. Today we're talking about the kind of love. What is love in marriage and sex? I heard a story of an old lady who just turned 100. And, uh, and the news reporter was interviewing this lady who just turned 100. And, and the newspaper reporter said, said uh, so, so I see you're, you're married to a funeral director. And she said, yep, yep, yep. Yep, we got married just, uh, just about a decade ago. And he said, oh, so, so how many, have you been married before? How many times have you been married? And she goes, oh, four, four times, actually. My first husband was an investment banker. He was rich. And, and that was just great. We, just were, we were really wealthy. That was great. But that didn't last. And my, my second husband was a circus performer. He was fun. We had a lot of fun together. Everywhere we went, it was just fun and games, looking for an opportunity to have fun. That didn't last either. Then I married a minister. That just felt good to be married to a, to a pastor. That was awesome. When he, after he passed away, I married my current husband, the funeral director. And the newspaper reporter was just so confused and astonished because these are four incredibly different people. And he says, I have to, what was your motivation for marrying these four incredibly different people? And she said, my motivation, well, I married, uh, four, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Don't owe me, it was funny and you know it. Oh, shoot. Today we're talking about what is love and marriage and sex. If you're not married, don't tune out. I believe one of the reasons that my marriage is strong today is because when I was 12, 13, 14, I kept hearing my dad talk about it when he was preaching. Don't tune out. Take good notes. You'll need this. There's good stuff that can apply to your life. And every single post-pubescent human on the planet should be reminded of God's plan for sex. If you're married, I want to fuel your marriage. If you're struggling in your marriage, that makes sense because Satan is attacking marriages. That makes sense that you would struggle. They're under attack, and I, w- I want to give you hope and uh, a way towards health. If you're falling short on God's plan for sex, I, I want to help you receive grace and strength to keep moving. So let's do this. In the New Testament, there's a story of a Roman governor that Paul 
that, that called Paul in to speak about this new Christian way. And, uh, and a sorcerer outside, not the governor, but a sorcerer started trying to get the Roman governor to turn them away from the gospel. And Paul turned and looked at the, at the Roman governor. Like, I don't want to be on Paul's bad side. I just got to say that. Paul turned and, and he looked at the, at the, uh, the sorcerer in Acts uh, chapter 13. He says, you're full of dirty tricks and schemes, you son of the devil. That's a new phrase for us. <laughs> you get really mad at somebody, just be like, you son of the devil. No, maybe not. <laughs> you're full of dirty tricks and schemes, you son of the devil. So this is now descriptive. He's now about to describe the way the devil thinks. You son of the devil, you hate everything that has God's approval. Quit trying to distort the truth about the way the Lord wants people to live. Quit trying to distort it. That's the way the devil thinks. Keep trying to distort it. If there's one point for you to remember today, it's this. God is creator. Satan is distorter. That's it. God is creator. Satan is distorter. Satan cannot create anything. He just takes what God does and whatever that is distorts it. He distorts it. God made passion. Satan distorts it into hate. God made a desire for accomplishment. Satan distorts it into greed. God made fun and joy. Satan distorts it into addictive pleasure-seeking. God made food. Satan distorts that to gluttony. And God made marriage and sex, and Satan has distorted both of those things into something different than God's best plans for our life. It's led to a lot of lies and a lot of misconceptions. So much so, I'm not even sure if we realize what lenses we're looking through. We just see things wrongly sometimes. The world doesn't understand marriage. They just don't. Satan has quite successfully deceived the world into thinking that marriage is an old-fashioned institution. It's a contract based on a feeling. So when the other party doesn't live up to their end of the bargain, or when it's not convenient or doesn't feel good anymore, we can just quit and move on. Are those the lenses you're looking through? That's not God's lenses. That's not the way God wants you to look at marriage. Satan has quite successfully deceived the world into thinking, uh, through shows and movies... That it's normal and unhappy, I'm sorry, it's normal to be unhappy and miserable in marriage. And you give up your life once you're married. That's not normal. That's not normal. Remember the the old show? Um, They had the Frank Sinatra song, love and marriage, love and marriage. And in the the opening, they put the, they they said married. And then it looked all evil, like slime was falling through, like it was a terrible thing. And then like if they couldn't get any worse, a big stamp came on, like it was a prison with children. That's not normal. That's not God's plan for marriage, that it's slimy, and once you have kids, you're in a prison. That's not how it works. It can be pretty great. I'm sorry if you had a bad example from 90s television. I'm sorry if you had a bad example in your own parents. I'm sorry if maybe you're a bad example. I want you to know there's grace. You're not who you were. You're not, you're not what you did. You're here today. Like, what happened, happened. You're here today. 
What do you do today? Let's just point our feet, feet towards Jesus. That's our invitation. Let's point our feet towards Jesus today. I want to help you. I want to help you. So let me, if I can, let me expose Satan's involvement with marriage. Let me just expose what he's doing. He would like it to be hidden, but I'm just going to shine a light on it. Marriage was designed by God to be a peaceful place of intimacy and union between a man and a woman for a lifetime. Marriage is a picture of the church. The church has the position of the bride of Christ. Scripture tells us this. We have the the position of the bride of Christ. One day, Jesus will return for us, and his bride will go to join him. The church will go to join him, and there will be a marriage feast. We're going to be connected with God forever, Christians. And when a marriage is lived out God's way, it's a picture of Christ's love for the church and the church's commitment to him when we can do that. And that's why Satan hates it so much. He hates anything that resembles God's love for his people or the people's commitment to the Lord. That's why Satan attacks here so much. God created marriage, and Satan distorts it. Marriage is intimacy, not sex. Intimacy. Intimacy is deeply knowing another person and feeling deeply known. Another way to say that that might make us feel more comfortable is closeness. When you're married, there's a, there's a closeness. Intimacy is being close. It means so much. It means a lot of things. How are you? Look at each other in the eyes. Stare in each other's eyes. Do stuff together. Intimacy is setting time aside to talk. It's prioritizing each other. Intimacy is telling the kids to go in the other room so you can talk. The greatest gift you can give your kids is a strong marriage. I don't know if you know this, but your kids will graduate. I, hope, I mean, that's, that's the hope. If you, did, if you did a good job being a parent, then your kids will graduate, and they'll move out, and they're not going to be in your house every day. But do you know who will still be in your house every day? Your spouse. Don't put your marriage, your relational closeness on hold for kids. That's important. I, I, I've, seen, I've seen it happen several times where it, it's just like, almost like clockwork. Kids graduate and then there's a divorce. Like, what? Don't put relational closeness on, on hold. Your kids are important. But the two become one here. Don't put relational closeness on hold. Men, we like to solve problems. I know we do. We see a problem, I'm going to fix it. But intimacy happens when you realize that your wife is not a problem to solve. She's a woman to be loved. And nobody can do that like a husband. Women, you do the same thing, don't you? It's not the same problem-solving thing, but God put inside of you this desire to nurture Women, intimacy will happen when you realize that your husband isn't a project or, or, a, or a, a, a project to nourish or, or work on. He's a man to be honored and believed in. And nobody can do that like a wife. Closeness in marriage, intimacy, resembles God's plan of wanting to be close to us. Of course Satan would want to distort it. 
It's God's plan in view for everyone to see. Satan's going to want to distort that. This isn't just about marriage. The world doesn't understand sex either. It's not just a physical act. God made sex to activate all that we are in a way that creates an unmistakable, unbreakable bond with our spouse. It is powerful. And because God creates it, Satan distorts it. And he's neutralized its power. Made it powerless. Today, in our culture, sex is just expected. Like, before you even go unsteady. You just, you know, it's just what you do. That's nuts. Preach it, Pastor Adam, that is nuts. Thank you. <laughs> that's the world we live in. That's, that is the world we live in. And if that's a trap you've fallen into, I'm sorry. There's grace for you, and I hope you feel nothing but love from me. I'm not trying to say, ooh, shame, shame. Whatever. You, you are what you did. Whatever. You're, what are you going to do today? What are you doing today? Let's just point your feet towards Jesus. Point your toes the other way. Let's just go. Let's just go. I'm not trying to smack anybody. That's sex, but it's not love. Not the love I mean. There is no greater distortion of sex than pornography. Here's what pornography is. I'm going to define it. Pornography is a sexual experience without the intimacy of another person. It's a sexual experience without the intimacy of another person. Follow me here. Follow follow my logic. Being a Christian means you're the bride of Christ. The Bible calls you the bride of Christ. You're, You're a Christian, you're the bride of Christ. You follow me? Okay. So being the bride of Christ... If you're the bride of Christ, that means you surrender to what God says. You, you surrender to him. You surrender all the way to him. We surrender ourselves to God. Being surrendered to God means everything is about what he wants, not what I want. It's about, it's about him. I'm surrendered. If, if, if I'm worried about what I want, it's not surrender. So I'm worried about what God wants. That's surrendered. So intimacy or closeness with God or with another human whether intimacy is really difficult, closeness with another is difficult, and it's difficult to be close with God, and it's difficult to be close with another person for the same reason. It requires you to be selfless. No jerks allowed. You can't be close and still be a jerk. Can I say that? Being close with another requires being surrendered to another. Now. If pornography is a sexual experience without the intimacy of another person, Satan loves it. He loves that. Satan wants us to believe that we don't need intimacy or closeness with Jesus at all. And therefore, we can be our own God. He distorts sex into pornography. You can be your own God. You don't need closeness with another. All you need is yourself. Christians aren't the only people waving this flag. Secular psychologists are calling pornography the new alcohol because it's that prevalent in uh, divorce cases. 56% of divorces occur. Uh, They cite uh, uh, pornography as as a significant contributor to the failing of the marriage. Christians, we've got to stop believing this doesn't hurt anyone. First of all, it's hurting your relationship with Jesus. Like... Do, do I need to give another reason? 
I mean, if you're surrendered to Jesus, I don't. That's enough. It's hurting your relationship with Jesus. Isn't that enough? But I think Satan sometimes can help us fall into this trap where we don't believe that it's actually hurting anybody. What, what that is. Yeah, it's a lie. It's a lie. Here's how it works. First Timothy chapter 4. Paul a seared conscience. You ever like burned yourself? You don't feel there very well anymore. It's just your, your sensitivity is gone. And if you continue to reject what God has, your conscience can be seared. You just don't feel. God can heal it. But if you keep walking away, your, your conscience can be seared and you just don't feel. And that creates even a bigger problem because when men watch pornography, we become conditioned to see women as sexual ob- objects rather than daughters of God made in the image of God. That's hurting yourself and your spouse or your future spouse. Church, we need to take pornography and throw it out the window like, yeet! Just get rid of it. Yes, I said yeet. The world has got sex and marriage all backwards. Satan attacks both sex and marriage, but God's plan is better. We can be different, church, but we can't work on the things that are left in the dark. God doesn't heal the things that we hide from him. He heals the things we bring to him. We can be different. I want to bring light to the dark place. I want to turn the light on to what Satan has done and is doing with marriage and sex. And and together today, we're going to look at God's plan for sex and marriage in the book of Genesis. How's that for an introduction? Here we go. Got about another 45 minutes to go here. I'm kidding. All right, I'll keep going. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We're going to look at how Satan attacks marriage and sex. Let's look at the Satan's attack on marriage and sex. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I want to just point, stop real quick and point something out. That word helper, sometimes we, we say, oh yeah, you know, God made man first, and so they're the most important, and the woman is, you know, an assistant, a helper. Listen, that Greek word, helper, is the same word used to describe God as our helper. This does not mean secondary. This does not mean less than. It doesn't mean the servant of. It, the, the idea is like the idea of a tutor. God gave Adam a helper who has something that he doesn't have and he needs. God is my helper. So in that same words used to, re, to refer to, us, to uh, the wife. So that does not mean less than, okay? Let's keep going. Uh, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. So here's this idea being presented in the gospel that a man and a woman can complete each other. There's something missing, and, and, and they, together, they can be partners, ready to go at the world together. So, so God brought the woman to, to the man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. 
This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's the beautiful picture of marriage. That's avail- it was in Eden, and it's available to us today. One completes another. The God-created partner. Here we go. We're going to attack the world together. And then sin changed everything. Satan saw the beauty of God's plan, and he wanted to distort it. He can't create anything. He just distorts anything he can get his hands in. And sin changed everything. See, God had created this. In the Garden of Eden, God had created a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, don't eat the fruit on this one. This is the one thing. Don't eat the fruit on this one. It's the one test you have to prove that you want to follow me and not rebel from me. And they didn't last long. Uh, The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. This passage shows us how God, how Satan attacks marriage. He's still doing the same thing through three attacks on marriage. And that's what I want to share here quickly. Three attacks on marriage. These attacks create a doom loop. One leads to the other, leads to the other, and back up to number one again. And many of us may be stuck in them right now, or you can look back in your life and see that you'll, that, that, where, you, where you did struggle with them. But there's hope. There's hope. When, when Satan attacks, there's hope. Ephesians chapter 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, or your wife, or your husband, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your fight's not with the, your spouse. It's with, it's with the devil. Uh, jump down four verses. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I'm going to share with you three attacks on marriage, but with faith, with faith in God's plan, we can extinguish the attacks that are coming on our marriage. With with God's plan is, is love, agape love. With faith in God's plan, we can extinguish these attacks. Here's the first attack on marriage. Number one is shame. Shame. The Bible says they realized they were naked. Before it said they, they, they were naked and they felt no shame, but when they realized it, they were, they were ashamed. Anytime you go outside God's plans, uh, shame's going to come in because Satan's going to be saying, ah, you dummy. That's condemnation. And, and really, when, when we're sinning, we, should, I mean, we shouldn't be proud of it. In a marriage, this can happen in a fight, can't it? You should be ashamed of yourself. And then, I, I should be ashamed of myself. And when, you, when, you, when there's shame in your relationship with your spouse, it will leave you feeling unworthy. I'm not worthy of receiving love. 
That leads me to the second attack. The second attack is this. Number two, fear. 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 I was afraid and so I hid, Adam said. I I wanted to hide. See, once we feel unworthy, we'll just give way to fear. Fear of intimacy. Fear of being close. What if they really knew what I was thinking? Fear of what that is. That's a fear of being known. Men, some of you don't like the idea of intimacy. It feels girly or mushy. Man up. You're just afraid. You're just afraid of being known. Well, I'm glad I heard one man say amen. Thank you. Or, or fear of failure can come into our marriage. I want to pray together, but what if I, what if I mess up? What, what if I mess up here? Or fear of rejection. I want to be vulnerable, but I'm afraid. But what if I get hurt? What if I get hurt again? Our past experiences can play in here. So we react. We react to the fear by withholding. And when we withhold, we're not including anyone else. And fear will leave us feeling isolated all by ourselves. And when we're isolated... We don't have anyone else to, to look at. Any, any, there's, there's no one else. That's, we're just isolated. So any problem in our life has to be somebody else's. And that's the third attack, blame. Do you see how one leads to the other? It's blame. Adam said, the woman here, the woman you, you put with, it's her fault and you, you God, you put the woman here. He blamed, he blamed it's somebody else's fault. Once we've withheld and we feel isolated, every problem in the world is somebody else's fault because we're not a part of anything. So we blame. We blame God. We blame our spouse. We blame our past. If God could just, if they would just, if I only had. Blaming leaves us feeling hopeless because we, we will think that the problem is permanent. This is always going to be this way. Nothing can ever change. So I'm hopeless. So blame leaves us feeling like a victim. And when we feel like a victim, like we were wronged, we feel anger, and frustration, and bitterness. And we'll look at our spouse and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. Back up to number one. Do you see how it's a doom loop? One leads to another. It's a crazy cycle. Ever since the Garden of Eden, relationships have been getting attacked in these three ways over and over and over and over again. But there's hope. We can extinguish the attacks of the enemy with faith. Steadfast trust in God's plan of agape love. Trying to, I want to put this into words. I'm, just, I'm trying to think. I guess, I guess I'm thinking of a way to explain O. Because you know that I'm flowing like a bottle of Drano. Simple and plain. L-O-V-E. Ain't all that junk that you see on TV. Put soaps on a rope because there ain't worth coping with. It's a myth that there ain't no hope. And love is enough if it's unconditionally given. Now you're living out the Great Commission. Go DC Talk. Yes. Thank you. Any DC Talk fans out there, you knew. I said explain no and you knew what I was going. Okay. Love without conditions. Agape love to one another stops the attack. We receive agape love. That's, I think that, that's something that's hard for a lot of us to, 
to, uh, I think that's, that's one of the, the hard things that we have in, our, in a marriage or even the idea of being close because we haven't even received agape love from God ourselves. Because maybe we're stuck feeling that we're not worthy to receive God's love. Like maybe you believe, but have you really received the love of Jesus? But once we receive agape love from our Father, agape love is, is an act of the will. You choose to love. It stops the attacks. We receive agape love from our Father and we can pass it on to others. And it's God's plan for agape love to exist between a husband and a wife. It's an act of the will to love. Now, I, I realize that's easier said than done. It's not easy. The Bible never said it would be. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. He had to say, bear with one another in love. Because like, you don't bear with something that's easy. If you have to bear with something, it's hard. So bear with one another in love. Honey, I bear with you. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. If it was easy, he would say, you know, don't forget to. But he says, make every effort. You got to try. You got to work on it. It means that two people who want to live and love like Jesus can get through anything, but they can't work on what's left in the dark. We need to bring it to the light. Watch what happens when we bring the dark things into the light. God's love can heal and extinguish these three attacks. Shame. God can heal shame. Shame leaves you feeling unworthy. But God can heal that. Scripture heals that. You are worthy to receive the love of Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for, this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we weren't worthy, Christ died for us. So you're worthy of love. He did it for you. You are worthy. So forget the shame. Fear. Fear will leave you feeling isolated. But the Bible tells us there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. How about blame? Blame leaves us feeling frustrated and bitter and it's your fault and they're blaming you and you did this. God's love can help us realize that we don't deserve forgiveness ourselves, but we got it anyway. And so when we understand forgiveness, we won't have a problem passing it on to someone else. It begins with us. The process of forgiveness begins with us just absorbing the blow. Colossians says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Church, God's plan for marriage is awesome. And it's a wonderful reflection of God's love to the world around us. So wherever you are in your marriage today, you can start with receiving God's love and passing it on to your spouse. Just do it more. Receive more of God's love. What does that mean? That means forgiveness. That means a, a choice to love. And start passing it on. I want to give you a, uh, an action step that I think could be helpful for a lot of us. Anyone ever heard of John Bevere? 
you know John Bevere, John and Lisa Bevere, they have some amazing books, some amazing teachings. And recently, I think all of them became available for free uh, on the Messenger X app. And I want to we'll put a link in the, uh, the chat for those of you worshiping with us online. And I think we have a QR code. Can we put a QR code? Yeah, you can scan that if you want. Everything that John and Lisa Bevere does is for free there. You can get a book. Uh, like, they have audio books that are, that are there. Um, there's courses that are on there. Um, Athabel is on there. Uh, that's a thing we worked through uh, maybe a decade ago. Well, maybe two decades ago. I'm getting old. Uh, Bait of Satan, Drawing Near, all of it's on there, on the Messenger X app. Uh, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Two courses. There's actually some courses that they put together where you can watch like 15, 30-minute lessons. And like, so it's like bite-sized chunks. There's two courses that I think might be helpful to some in the body of Christ. And, uh, and, and they're this. The first is, is there's a course called Porn Free. John Bevere does a course called Porn Free. This could be a great first step uh, if you're struggling with pornography, this could be a great first step for you to kick Satan's butt. A good, a good first step for you. And the other course that you may want to do is called The Story of Marriage that John and Lisa Bevere did together. We actually showed that on some Wednesday nights a while ago. Uh, but it's fantastic teaching, and I hope uh, you take advantage of that. That's the Messenger X app. Would you stand with me? Some of you this morning may be thinking, like having some feelings like, oh no, or oh, he's talking to me. I wonder if someone told them about me. No. Um, if you have like a... Ink, in your gut, I want you to just check what it is. Because there's two, there's two things that it could be. That feeling could be, could be two things. One's from Satan, the other's from God. The first thing it could be is condemnation. That's from Satan. Condemnation says, shame. Oh, dirty, rotten. Keep that in the dark. Keep that in the dark. Keep that down, shame. That's, con- that's condemning. The other feeling that that could be is conviction. And that's completely different. That's from God. Yeah. And that's not God saying, oh, that's God saying, hey, get, bring that to me. Yeah. I died for that. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it to me. I'm the one that can heal it. Don't keep that down. Yeah. Don't ignore it. This isn't about do the right things, behavior modification. This is about be something different. Yeah. Be changed. Bring it to me, he says. Will you bring all you are to God? Are there some parts of your life that are off limits to God? I hope we can surrender all to him. You get anything, God. Let's pray. Lord God, your conviction can be strong. And I pray that as simultaneously as there's a as a drawing from you to, to change our lives, there would be a, a strong passion from you to, to pull us closer. Lord, you love us. I pray against any condemna- condemnation of the enemy, but I pray for a lot of conviction. 
Show us where our next steps need to be to be more God-honoring to you because we want you to have access to every single part of our life. Lord, I pray right now for marriages that are struggling, that are separated, that are weak. Lord, I pray for strength to be brought into those marriages in a supernatural way. Lord, I pray for victory to be brought to marriages when two people surrender all that they are to loving like you want them to love. Lord, I pray for for those who have not uh, uh, followed your plan for sex in every area, those of us that have fallen short. Lord, I pray that uh, there would be great forgiveness today. Lord, we know that, that where sin abounds, grace just gets bigger. It grows larger than that. So thank you for your grace for your people. Lord, I pray for renewed minds to be uh, brought to your church. So we, we, we may have thought a certain way, but we won't think that way anymore. Lord, we want to come to you and bring all that we are to you so we can be found pleasing. So today we run to you, Father. Amen.